Welcome to Find Your Niche, a career podcast offering advice that you can implement today, as well as career tips that will set you on a career path and help you to find your niche. I'm Lori Cole, certified career coach and job search advisor with iHire. iHire connects you to industry-specific jobs in over 57 talent communities. Find your niche today on iHire. Do you ever find yourself thinking, I'm not good enough, or I don't deserve this? Well, those thoughts are called limiting beliefs, and they can hold you back from reaching your full potential. But don't worry, in today's episode, we'll discuss ways to counteract those negative thoughts and boost your confidence. Plus, we have a special guest on the show today, Andre Riley. He is the Chief Revenue Officer here at iHire, and he'll be sharing with us what a Chief Revenue Officer or CRO actually does and give some valuable career advice. So be sure to stay until the end so you can hear the one question that you must ask at the end of every interview. Here are the latest trends, topics, and tips that will help you in your job search. Number one, I'm not qualified enough. The problem with this limited belief is that it stops you from even trying to take on new opportunities. But here's the truth. No one is ever fully qualified for anything. You're not qualified. If you're feeling held back by this belief, try to reframe it in your mind. Instead of focusing on what you don't know or what you haven't done, focus on what you can learn and what you can achieve. Take on new challenges, look for new opportunities for growth, and be open to learning from your mistakes. The only way to truly become qualified is by taking action and pushing yourself outside that comfort zone. Number two, I don't have enough experience. This can be a major roadblock in your career growth. But here's the thing. You can get experience in so many different ways. If you're feeling held back by this belief, Don't be afraid to raise your hand and volunteer for new tasks and projects at work. Make your own opportunities to gain new experience. You have a lot of transferable skills that can help you be successful in a new project. And when you volunteer to take on responsibilities, you get to collaborate with new people and make friends in other departments. And it might lead to opportunities in other areas. Experience is something you can gain over time. Take chances and don't let the fear of not having enough experience hold you back. Number three, I'm not good enough. This belief is very dangerous because it can lead to imposter syndrome where you feel like you don't belong or deserve your success. But here's the truth. You are good enough. If you're struggling with this belief, cut yourself some slack here and practice some self-compassion. Focus on your strengths and accomplishments and build a support system of your colleagues and mentors who can help you see your value and potential. I'll tell you what, a good mentor can make all of the difference. And I am so blessed to have a few good mentors I can bounce ideas off of. If you think I'm not good enough, try reframing that and focus on what you can do rather than what you can't. Celebrate your successes, no matter how small, and be proud of your accomplishments. Pretty darn proud of myself. Number four, I'm not meant for this. Having this limiting belief can keep us from exploring new career paths or doing things you're really passionate about. But here's the thing. You are meant for whatever you set your mind to. 
To overcome this belief, identify your values and your passions. What drives you? What makes you feel alive and fulfilled? Set some realistic goals for yourself and take small steps towards that dream job. There is no right path or one-size-fits-all approach to your career. You have the power to create your own path and define your own success. Number five, I don't deserve success. There is a lot of damage that can be done by us thinking this kind of thought because it can prevent us from reaching the full potential in our careers. We're so full of potential. But here's the truth. You do deserve success. If you're struggling with this belief, start by challenging your negative self-talk. Pay attention to the words that come out of your mouth because they have power. When you catch yourself thinking, I don't deserve this, ask yourself, why not? Why don't I deserve this? You have no evidence to support your claims. Try some positive affirmations and reframe those negative thoughts. I am good enough. I deserve success. I have the skills and knowledge to achieve my goals. Don't allow limiting beliefs to be major roadblocks in your career growth. As I said before, these beliefs are not set in stone. When you identify and challenge your beliefs about yourself, you're one step closer to achieving your goals and living your best life. I am super excited to have Andre Riley as our guest on the podcast today. He is my boss's boss's boss, which means that he is our chief revenue officer here at iHire, and he's in charge of the sales, marketing, and customer success teams. He has over 13 years of experience in the software as a service industry, and he is a pro at helping companies achieve their goals. Before joining iHire, he was the CRO at Arcade, and that is a company specializing in the gamification of the sales process. Plus, he's an advisor and investor to startups and venture capital firms. Let's hear from today's featured guests who has found their niche. Hi, Andre. How are you doing today? Hey, Lori. I'm good. How's it going with you today? Great, great. It's so good to have you here on the Find Your Niche podcast. I'm really excited to talk to you. So I've been hearing more and more about a chief revenue officer. Could you tell us a little bit more about what a CRO, chief revenue officer, does? And is this something new to just the technology space or are other companies adopting this? Yeah, yeah. It's a very good question, Lori. And uh, I'm super excited to join this podcast as well and have this discussion with you. And yeah, when it comes to Chief Revenue Officer, it's definitely something more and more that's become a bigger topic out there. You know, as a Chief Revenue Officer, my overall responsibilities are creating demand, executing demand, and retaining that demand. Um, and so what that means is, you know, overseeing all of sales, marketing, and customer success, and all revenue generating opportunities, all revenue generating functions within a company. The CRO role has been something that has really probably taken off over the past five to seven years or so, really heavily in the tech space, um, where it's really primarily geared towards. But you're starting to see several other companies out there in completely different industries outside of the SaaS tech space that are also starting to implement CROs and things like that within their organizational function. And it becomes important because you think about the whole customer journey and the way that people are purchasing products or services today, 
a lot of it starts with marketing and creating demand and taking them through that journey and then connecting with sales and having that conversation to execute that demand. And then it becomes important for a company to retain that revenue from a customer success standpoint. And so when you can have all that roll under one kind of umbrella and everything kind of really is all alignment across the entire journey, that becomes super important. That's really the key areas of a CRO is to drive alignment across the entire customer journey, ensuring that you're driving revenue for the business in a profitable way. I'd love to hear more about your career journey. How did you get to the point of being a chief revenue officer? Where, where did you start? What are some of the steps you took along the way? Yeah, yeah. It's a very, very good question. Um, it all started probably, I would say, back in college, right? And I think it starts first with like, you know, for myself, I knew early on um, kind of what I wanted to do for a living. I had met someone early on in my uh, college career as a freshman, um, very successful guy that was selling medical devices like GE cat scanners, machines to hospitals. And I was very intrigued when he was telling me about his job and role and, and it got my interest. And I'm like, oh, I never thought about sales. I've always been a finance and numbers guy. So I was always passionate about finance and numbers. So I was a finance major when I first started college, but then quickly realized like, I think I want to do sales. I like, I'm a very social person. I like engaging with people. And most importantly, I love the aspect when it comes to sales and in particular marketing is understanding how people make decisions, why they make decisions. Um, and so my sophomore year in college, I switched my major and I majored in marketing. And then from there, once I got out of school, I graduated in 2009, right after the 08 kind of crisis. So it was a very tumultuous environment at that point for All recent right. college grads. And bad, yeah, and bad so, time to be getting into the market. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And of course, you know, my aspirations coming out of college is I wanted to go work for the big brand name companies. I wanted to, I wanted to do medical device or pharmaceutical sales was what I was focused on in the, initially was putting out resumes and applying for jobs, nothing really happening. And I got fortunate enough that I ended up getting on with an early tech startup right out of college. And I got a sales job as an inside sales rep. And it was probably one of the best things that ever happened to me. Um, it's a blessing in so many ways. And you know, joining this company is a tech company that did digital marketing for car dealerships. And, you know, I had an amazing CEO, an amazing kind of culture there that really prided themselves on really empowering the employees, giving them the autonomy, but also driving their performance as far as giving them the ability to learn and foster so much within that company. And so, you know, early on, start off as an inside sales rep. And at the time, I didn't even know about really what a startup was, you know, didn't quite understand no. it, but got in, you know, I'll never forget the first time I walked in for my interview, I was wearing a full suit, you know, I'm in Texas. So summertime is super hot, about 105 degrees outside. And I'm in a full suit and I walk in and at the time I didn't know he was a founder and CEO of the company, but the guy walks by and, you know, first person I see when I walk in and he's wearing flip-flops, shorts and a t-shirt. And I remember looking around the office and everyone is just so relaxed, t-shirts, shorts. And I was like, wow, this seems very cool. And then, you know, they took me on a tour. I saw that they had ping pong tables, video games. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this looks like a really cool place. And a lot of young, uh, young people too. So I was like, wow, you know, and got in and start off as inside sales and did very well at that and really killed it. And, um, 
did very successful in a lot of ways like that, but also was, you know, at a startup, you wear multiple hats. There's a lot of things you got to do. You have to be very driven. You have to be very taking initiative on finding solutions and doing things. And so that was a lot of me. And so we didn't have marketing. And so I started doing marketing to help me get more sales. And I started putting together collateral and materials and things like that and really did very well and moved up to become a sales manager and then um, eventually became a VP of sales and marketing. We ended up selling that company to a large publicly traded company back in 2012. So that became another great opportunity for me that I got to go work at a big public traded company where when I started at the early stage startup company, I was employee number 32. When we sold the company, we had about 150 employees. And then the company that we sold to, we had about 390 people just in sales. Oh. Yeah. Very, very interesting and really got to see the corporate side of the big companies and how that works. But it was a lot of good experience for me there. Um, that I learned a lot and gained a lot in that aspect as well. And through that time after that, um, the original founders approached me about a year later and said, hey, we're about to start up another company in the healthcare space, and we want you to come on board to help us build this company. And so for me, it was a really good opportunity for me at the stage of my life and where I was in my career to kind of be a part of building something from the ground up. And so we started a company called Dr. Logic, um, and I got hired as the uh, VP of sales and marketing there. And then just through success and just constantly driving revenue for the company and building and scaling the teams from sales, marketing, revenue operations, customer success, really opened the door for me to take the opportunity to become the chief revenue officer. And so at Dr. Logics, when I first became the CRO, and you know, it's, it's an amazing experience. And I, I really put a lot of effort towards, um, or really a lot of kudos towards my prior CEO. Um, he was an amazing guy, very much taught me so much about business. And I'm a very curious person. So I ask a lot of questions. I want to learn. I want to understand how did you build this company? How did you create these things? And so I learned so much from him that was so monumental for me in my career and just understanding business and understanding how businesses operate and how to build a profitable company. And that really helped me in my skill set to become good as a CRO and really learn the things necessary to drive revenue in a profitable and sustainable way for the company. Do you recall a specific moment or a time where you just thought, this is it, this is what I am supposed to be doing? (laughs) Yeah, I would say early on when I started my career and I started selling, I, I would say for the first two and a half, close to three years, I sold more every single month than I did the previous month. Every single month, I kept just exceeding goal, exceeding goal. And, you know, month one, I would sell 10,000, month two, 12, month three, 15. And I always kept, and I was just consistent like that. And I realized, okay, I'm pretty good at this. I think I, I think I got this. And, but also it took a lot of, I, I studied a lot. I read a lot. I constantly was out there seeking information, re- listening to podcasts, reading books, just constantly honing in on my craft and just getting better and better at what I do and looking at the small things and really practicing and, and analyzing every little detail, working towards that. And, uh, you know, I would say early on in sales is where I really kind of realized it. And then I think as other people started telling me, it kind of helped solidify that as well. You know, I, I think at mm-hmm. all times, we're always hardest on ourselves. We always kind of doubt ourselves. 
And sometimes you need that validation from others to tell you. And I think as others started telling me, like, dude, you're very good at this. And like, you know, wow. And it kind of helped me realize that. And I knew like, hey, this is what I want to do. And I'm passionate about it. And, you know, my ultimate goal and my, you know, biggest thing that I want to do is I want to start my own company someday and I want to start a tech company. And so, you know, these are all things and experiences that are going to help me become a better leader and a better owner and building a company as well. Absolutely. And isn't it funny how those limiting beliefs about yourself, you don't believe it when you say it about yourself, but you believe it when other people say it to you. Um, mm-hmm. that, that just encourage you and say, oh, you you are very good at this. And um, mm-hmm. those limiting beliefs can have such a negative impact if you don't turn them around the minute you start thinking about them. Yeah, it's absolutely that. And I think all people go through what you know they call imposter syndrome, right? It's like feeling like exactly. I shouldn't be here. Like, no, this is bad. And like, it's very common. And I think a lot of people sometimes doubt themselves and question it, but I think a lot of people go through that phase of having that imposter syndrome. And I think it's super important for you to really dive into that and really, you know, find a way and understand really where your strong suit is, where your skills are at. And knowing that you're not going to be great across everything, especially the higher you move up. And, you know, as a CRO, you're over so many different departments, so many different areas. You know, I'm constantly context switching. Sometimes I'm looking at finances and numbers all day. Then I'm looking at creative marketing and strategies and content and you know and messaging and things like that so you're not going to be good at everything and that's one key thing that you always have to remember but what's super important is like the things that you're not good at you hire you find the best talent that's good at those things right and you allow Mm -hmm. and you allow them to you know you open up the gates and allow them to do their job right you hire them for a reason to execute and so you want to make sure you get in the range to do that and so it's super important to kind of say have that mindset as well. So we've talked about industries a little bit, but I'm always fascinated about how different industries can shape someone's perspective and their approach to their work. Tell me again about the different industries you've been in and mm-hmm. how that's kind of shaped your leadership style. Yeah, absolutely. So I would say, you know, my entire career, I've worked in a SaaS tech space, right? I've sold software as a service across, you know, the entire time that I've been in, you know, in my professional career. You know, I'd probably say for the first nine to 10 years was selling a marketing technology, a MarTech solution, um, a digital marketing platform. And initially, when we first started, we were selling in the automotive space to car dealerships. Then we took that same technology and we sold it now to doctors. And so... It's a whole different persona talking to car dealers versus talking to doctors. So mm-hmm. you have yeah. to learn and understand those businesses, understand the pain points of problems and how your company and what your product is doing to help solve those and understand really the day to day of what those businesses are dealing with and the day to day things they're having there. And so it really shaped a lot for me talking to car dealers and switching to doctors. And so I learned a lot, shaped a lot with that, understanding, talking to business owners who are also the, um, you know, kind of individual contributors, so to say, right? Where you have a doctor who's, they own the practice, but they're also providing that service and things of that nature. So, you know, a lot different than talking to a general manager at a car dealership who has a team of sales reps and a team of service departments, things of that nature. So those things alone, you start to see that there's different contexts, how you have that. 
it wasn't until roughly about three years ago after I stepped away from Dr. Logic, it was really a time for me to say, man, I've been working with these same founders for pretty much my entire career. I'm ready to go try something different. I want to go try a different way. And so I went and worked at a tech startup called Arcade, and it's a gamification company. And so it was a whole different industry selling a gamification technology to mid-market and uh, enterprise-type companies out there. Um, and we had different industries that we were selling to, but again, that was different in itself as well. And so through all these experiences, you learn a lot, you gain a lot to understand how different businesses operate and understand different processes and different tactics and strategies that be deployed across different areas. But there's also a lot that translates very well into other areas as, as well. So things that you may have done in the healthcare space can really work well when you're selling to mid-market enterprise type deals as well. So it's just understanding, taking the keys and taking the right things from those different experiences and applying them, but also knowing that everything you did before doesn't always work the exact same way in a new place or the new way. And so that's something to always keep in mind as well. It's like you can't just repeat the same playbook that you've always ran. You have to optimize and tweak and really understand the buyers and the customers. And that, that really helps unlock a lot. I couldn't help but notice the Mamba mentality flag in your background. <laughs> Tell us what that means and and why yeah. it's meaningful to you. Yeah, yeah. I'm so glad you asked that. And, and obviously with it being a part of my background, it's a common question that comes up. So the Mamba mentality is, is derived from Kobe Bryant. You know, rest in peace, Kobe Bryant. And it's really, you know, the definition, as you can probably see in the background, is a constant quest to be the best version of oneself, right? And really, that always stuck with me. And I've always been a huge fan of Kobe Bryant. I'm not a Lakers fan. I always like to make that clear. I'm not a Lakers fan, but I am a Kobe Bryant fan. And really, you know, something that's really been key with it is the ability that the concept and that whole um, kind of saying is, you know, really constantly working to improve on yourself and constantly be the best version of yourself. And when you think about Kobe Bryant and the work ethic that he had and what he put in to be, one of the greatest players in the NBA, it was the work and the constant drive and motivation that he had to become the best and constantly honing on every bit of his craft. And to me, that's so synonymous with business. To me, sports mm -hmm. and especially sales is so synonymous together. And, you know, it's that constant quest that, you know, when you're in sales, watching your calls, reviewing your demos, right? Just like in sports, you're watching film and you're studying the great ones. Same thing happens in sales. It's like, hey, you want to watch demos of some of the top salespeople and understand what are they doing? How is it working for them? What are all the small little things when you're responding to an email? What subject line is in there? What's the first thing you're putting in that, in that content? So it's something that analyzing every component of what you do to become the best version of yourself is really what it's all about. And it's constantly honing in on your craft and just becoming the best version of that and working hard towards it. And so it's something that I've always had a strong work ethic, just the way I was brought up. And, you know, it's something that's always stuck with me. And so I've been very, very passionate about it, but highly encourage a lot of people read the Kobe Bryant book. It's a Mamba mentality book that they have, you know, but it's, you'll start to see a lot with just his work ethic and a lot of stuff that happened behind the scenes that got him to become great as like what he is today or what he was, you know, rest in peace. If you could time travel back to when you first started out in your career, 
what would you tell your younger self? What advice would you give your younger self? I would say take more risk and don't be so concerned about what people think. I think those are two things for me, you know, as you grow and mature in your career, you start to learn and, you know, really start to hone in on a lot of these things. But if I could go back in time and really put those things in myself, there's a lot that early on going back to some of the imposter syndrome that we talked about, you know, constantly being concerned with like, well, if I push this out of there, if I do this, what are people going to think? Or what are people's opinions going to be? And sometimes that can really start to cloud things and really, you know, hinder you and, and put roadblocks in front of you. And so for me, you know, I always tell a lot of young folks coming in is like, take risk, better yourself, right? And don't be too concerned about what everyone thinks, right? There's a form of like, you know, having self-awareness, but at the same time, there's also like, you have to be able to know like, look, not everyone's going to agree with you. Not everyone's going to think it's a great idea, but you have to believe in that. And you've got to sometimes take that risk and go down that path and do it. So internalize the good things people are saying about you and be able to just walk away from, from the opinions that maybe don't fit in with your current mindset. Yeah. Yeah. Or just don't worry about what people potentially could think, right? Don't overanalyze it. Don't think about, oh, well, if I do this, people are going to think that that's stupid. Or if I do this, people are going to, that's going to cause uproar. So Again, it's just, you know, don't let those things bog you down or hinder you too much. Uh, because at the end of the day, someone's always going to have an opinion. Everyone's always going to have an opinion about something. And so, you know, it's just super important that just <clears throat> the quicker you realize that, the faster you learn that, the better off you'll be in the long run. So if we look ahead to sales management and the role of the CRO and, and the exciting things that are happening in this new type of a career, what are some of the the really out-of-the-box innovative things that you see on the horizon that could have an impact on the industry? Mm, Very, very interesting question. I would probably say the biggest thing that's coming to mind, I wouldn't say it's out-of-the-box, but I would probably say AI. AI Mm -hmm. is something that I think is really going to change a lot in the way for companies, especially when you think about go-to-market teams and you think about AI being the right content for marketing. And, you know, marketing has so many areas from like, you know, eBooks to blogs to website copy to all types of content being produced. And the same thing for sales, right? Sales folks having the right emails and the right content and, you know, personal branding, pushing out content on LinkedIn and things of that nature. And I think so many people having good writers and having, you know, people who are good at writing and know how to build the right content, form right emails, you know, sometimes a challenge for people to have that skill set and have that craft to do that. And so something like AI and chat GPT and all the other AI driven solutions that are out there that are exploding right now is going to really change the game and kind of really unlock a lot there for a lot of folks and means that productivity can go up significantly. You know, I think humans still are going to have to tailor and put the human touch on it. But when you can have AI take care of 75% of that, and then you come in and you massage and critique that content and kind of edit and, you know, personalize it to a certain extent, that says a lot. It does a lot there. And so that's one thing, you know, I wouldn't say it's out the box because it's, 
you know, it's, it's already there and it's happening. But I think that that's something that is going to be very innovative and really change the game across a lot of companies out there. And and I think across a lot of industries and just, you know, in the world itself today, it's going to change a lot. So I talked to people that are scared of AI. What would you say to those people? Yeah, I, I think humans, we all go through that way of it. Change is constantly something that, you know, a lot of people are, aren't as quickly adapt to. Um, and I think a lot of times we get concerned about robots taking over our jobs and technology and software and all the things that have been innovating, created in this world. Sometimes it can be argued that, oh, it's going to take our jobs and things of that nature. But at the same time, I think that it's, you know, those machines and these robots, whether it's AI bots or whether it's, you know, robots that are doing jobs, they still need humans to tell them what to do and to dictate what that is. Yes. And so there's still going to be value for those that are out there. But it also means that, like, you just have to hone in and increase your skill set and increase your talents to find that right niche so that you're not, you know, ouster, you know, your job doesn't get taken over by technology in that sense. But human jobs and things of that nature are still going to be highly needed to be able to tell these robots and tell these AIs what to do, that human touch still needs to be there. And I think, you know, over time, it'll be embraced a lot more. But I think the same sentiment was out there about the internet and about just technology in itself. A lot of people thought like, oh, this is going to take over. This is a bad thing. And everything has its pros and cons. And it's, it has the way, you know, the internet has opened up a lot for us and it's caused a lot of different challenges in society as well. But, you know, there's pros and cons that come with it. And I think that finding the right way and how, how you look at things and how you assess things can really make a difference on how you embrace certain changes that are happening in the world. I remember my first internet search and I thought, I am now the smartest person in the world because I can, <laughs> I can look up anything that I want and it's yeah. there. It was so amazing to me. And I feel the same thing about the same way about AI. I feel that, wow, the doors that this is going to open, at least for some of the things that I do, incredible. I'm discovering mm-hmm. new things every day. Oh, yeah. I mean, as a CRO, I'm looking at it, talking to marketing, and I'm like, guys, this can be game changer for our content teams and producing content. And the same thing with sales. It's like, hey, you know, you don't have to be an expert in writing emails. Like, <laughs> there's tools and solutions out there to help with that. And so it's very, very fascinating to me and very, very interesting um, in how it can really be a huge value add to driving more productivity, more efficiency across our teams and companies out there. What's one piece of advice that you have received over your career that has just stuck with you and has helped you to be more successful? (laughs) I'll tell you, you know, as I talked about early on when I started my career at the company ClickMotive early tech startup, I'll never forget during the first week of onboarding, you know, you go through all the trainings, different departments, different things like that. And I'll never forget the CEO came in and was training us and going through some uh, talks about different aspects in the company and the business and everything like that. And I still have this notebook till this day. I'm a writer, so I write a lot of things down. So I have stacks of notebooks that I've saved up over my career. And uh, I'll never forget, I still have this notebook that I wrote down something that he said. And it's so simple. So straightforward is that everything is negotiable. And I remember he told us that. And 
even though it seems so small and it seems like not just so eye-opening, but when you start to really understand that throughout your career and you realize and know everything is negotiable, it changes and opens up so much. And it's helped me a lot in different ways in my career, you know, negotiating salaries, negotiating terms, negotiating with customers and deals and things of that nature, negotiating with team members, negotiating and agreeing upon something is constantly something we do all day. Sometimes we're negotiating with our kids <laughs> to get them to do things and stuff like that. But, Most of the time. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, but when you really embrace that, that's something that has always stuck with me is like everything is negotiable. And it, like I said, it's so simple. It's so basic, but it's definitely something that has been very beneficial to me in my career. And I remember I told my CEO and he's a mentor to me to this day. And I remember I told him that a couple of years back, I said, you know, I don't think you remember this, but you said this, you know, at that time, it's probably like 10 years ago now. I was like, you said this and it's always stuck with me. He's like, huh? <laughs> he's like, he laughed and he goes, it's crazy. He goes, I, you definitely applied that. I will say that. And I'm like, absolutely. <laughs> and I learned it from you. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, that's, that's definitely something I would definitely tell folks. And yeah, just always remember that everything is negotiable. We appreciate our featured guest for joining the Find Your Niche podcast. Now, more career advice and stories from your host, Lori Cole. Okay, so you've made it through the interview and you've answered all the questions with ease. You're feeling pretty good about yourself, but wait, before you leave that room, there is one question you must absolutely positively ask. What are the next steps? Asking this question is not only polite, but it also shows that you're genuinely interested in the position in the company. Plus, it's a great way to get a sense for the timeline for the hiring process. Are they planning to make a decision in the next few days or the next few weeks? And this information can really help you plan your follow-up and also manage your expectations. But the benefits of asking this question don't stop there. It also gives you a chance to demonstrate your enthusiasm for the role. Maybe the interviewer will share some additional information about the job that will get you even more excited about that opportunity. Or maybe they'll ask you if you're available for a second interview right then and there. Either way, you'll have a chance to reiterate your interest in the position and show that you're willing to go above and beyond to land the job. In addition, asking about the next steps can also prepare you for any potential follow-up tasks you have. Maybe they'll ask you to provide references or complete a background check. Knowing what to expect can help you get a jump start on these tasks and make sure that you're fully prepared for the next stage of the hiring process. So don't forget to ask this all-important question. It's a power move at the end of your interview. What are the next steps? It may just be the key to landing your dream job. Is there something you need some guidance on in terms of your career? Email to laurie.cole at ihire.com. Thanks for listening.